Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how School Status can change your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 66, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. Can laughing help your students retain information? Science says yes. Lawmakers take note. Six Oklahoma legislators that opposed teacher pay raises were just voted out of office. And we have an update on the superintendent accused of pooping on the school track. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we speak with a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, is life better when you get rid of your teacher's desk? Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire Lissa Pruitt and education data expert Russ Davis of School Status. Lissa, how you doing? I'm great. Russ, how's it going up there? I'm doing really good, man. Just uh, riding out this storm. You're in a better spot than Lissa and I. For those who don't know, we are recording on the night that... Uh, what may or may not be Hurricane Gordon's about to come ashore. Right now it's a tropical storm, but it's just below that Category 1 hurricane status. And uh, we're kind of hunkering down. How's everyone doing? Good. I'm doing no good. school tomorrow. I, I'm doing good. Yeah, there is no school tomorrow, which is great. Uh, for the people that don't know, our friend, our lovely host, uh, Nick Ortigo, used to do the weather for our local TV station. So I still want to text or call him every time there's inclement weather to figure out what the scoop is. I, I don't watch <laughs> quite as closely as I used to have to, you know, like that's what you're like living and breathing at every model run, you know, back in the day. Um, so I don't but really you, keep but up. You're that. still you're still looking at spaghetti models, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can still, you know, pick up on, on that stuff pretty easily. And and I would predict that the good news is this isn't going to be. Uh, one of these storms that turn slowly because that's what really gets you. Like that's why you had the flooding in Houston last year. It's because a storm comes ashore and then it goes, Oh, you know what? I'm going to go a different direction. And that turn takes so long you get the flooding and this doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So, uh, and I think it's going to be weak enough to where we're a little bit inland. We should be okay here. The coast might have to deal with some impacts, you know, so uh, we should be all right. Well, see, there you go. New, the, the heat just can't get away from the weather. That's right. So with that said, uh, Lissa, why don't you go ahead and uh, we'll jump into the uh, teacher's lounge. What do you know that's not storm related? Well, I love to laugh. and I'm sure everybody, if anyone listens to this podcast, they hear more than their fair share of me laughing. But actually, studies say that humor affects memory and recall more than than you think. So it enhances your memory. Humor, if you receive information in a humorous text or in a, if your college professor is presenting something in a humorous way, you're more likely to remember and recall. So we need comedians for teachers <laughs> is what you're getting at. Yeah. Well, they actually, I mean, they really did test it out. Like they did, they actually used a statistics course, which is, I don't know if y'all ever taken statistics, but it's pretty yes. tough. I think about 73% of statistics not, are made up, aren't not they? not a lot of humor. It's, it's what we do for a living. Oh, I guess so. I guess you do. <laughs> so thanks Sorry. a lot. We really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, well, y'all are great. No, statistics <laughs> is so funny. Anyway, um, but like there's a 10-point increase in the class that received 
um, you know, like funny cartoons interjected in the middle of what they were learning that kind of went along with what they were learning. So like the professor would like pitch the, the concept and idea, teach a mini lesson, then show a humorous cartoon that kind of illustrated funny, you know, in a funny way, whatever. And then, then go back and kind of hit the high points again of the lesson. And those students had a 10 point increase across the board over the other class that just had straight up statistics. So So maybe there was people like me in that class. There was like (laughs) appreciated the humor. Did they they attribute it to students being more attentive or what was, well, there are things going on in the brain that respond to humor that would cause better recall and better memory storage or storage in the memory, I should say. So humorous information receives more attention in the brain than other information. This is, this is, I'm just what telling you what the that's, study that's why the funny guys always get the good looking girls. Oh, is that what it is? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, think about the um, SNL guys that are like, what's, isn't one of them dating like uh Scarlett Johansson and the other was like dating like Olivia, uh, wild dating a uh, pop star. Uh, oh yeah. yeah that guy, uh, uh Ariana, Ariana Grande, uh, Ariana Grande. Yeah. See, they're all but, funny. I mean, I do think, I mean, side note, I think most women, they like a funny guy. Nobody likes a brooding, grumpy guy. I'm you want a funny guy. Okay. Anyway, we're, we're getting off topic. Um, humorous information um, benefits from improved encoding, which is just like a fancy way after reading it. I, I was like, what does that even mean? But I'm just going to put it out there in normal terms. It's just a fancy way of saying that our brain pushes humorous information to the front of the line when it's storing all the different information, it's going to, that if you receive humorous information, it's going to actually skip to the front and be stored before all the other stuff. And then the last thing is humorous information has an energizing effect. So it actually, you know, revs you up, which is, you know, that's a no brainer. Um, and so that, that again, leads to more recall because you're more focused and more alert. It's funny you should say that. I was listening to a podcast that featured uh, Tony Robbins, which of all things, right? It was a Katie Kirk podcast. It had an uh, interview with Tony Robbins on it. And um, it was talking about how emotion of any kind helps memory. And the way he said it very quickly was everybody can tell you where they were on 9-11, but no one can tell you where they were 8-11, right? So your, your memory encodes those things, you know, in in a positive way. So I don't think it just works for, you know, laughter. I guess if you can scare the hell out of your students, then, um, or or make them very sad, then they will also, uh, remember. Yeah. So you're saying it's, it's trauma. It could be the same as humor, but I would suggest if you're a teacher listening, go with the humor. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) As opposed to scaring everyone to death. Pro tip. Like memory. That would be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I even had a math teacher once that had really, really dry math jokes. But still, I mean, still today, I remember him. Like, even if you're not that funny, if you can just regurgitate some funny things in a bad way, it still sticks. Do you um, have any math jokes that we can end on here? There's lots. Like, math teachers have problems. That's one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And math is functional. A farmer counted 196 cows in his field, but when he rounded them up, he had 200. There you go. There you go. 
<laughs> all right, Russ, let's uh, going to fall pretty flat. Yeah. That's all right. So my story is uh, is pretty interesting, right? It's about using your platform. And um, I actually posted this recently on Twitter and got a little bit of attention for it. But uh, basically in Oklahoma, where they had all the teacher walkouts that we covered pretty extensively, um, it's now time for those politicians to pay the piper. And so um, there were 19 uh, Republicans who voted against the, the tax hike, which would increase teacher pay, which we eventually, eventually uh, passed. Um, of those 19, eight failed to win their nominations. Wow. And just and th- that's just the primary. We haven't gotten to the general, right? That's it. Yes. Yeah, six were primaried. Now, there are term limits in Oklahoma, which worked in their favor as well. So seven others were term limited or decided not to run. And uh, only four of the 19 advanced to the general election. So it's pretty interesting. And so if you think about it, in most communities, not every community, but like in all these small towns that really make up America, you know, you have these population centers and then pretty much everything else is, is you know, rural areas. Um, the school district is either the largest or the second largest employer. Um, you know, you may have like a shipyard or, you know, a, a automotive plan or something like that, that will take number one. But number two is going to be pretty dang close to be the school district, which means in order for most politicians to get elected, um, they have to have the vote of, of, of teachers, right? Of people that work for school districts. And the question I have is why do people seemingly vote uh, for candidates who, who don't support education or aren't big fans of education. When I think about my home state of Mississippi, I, I think about, you know, we're a, we're a pretty conservative state. And I, I don't want to just generalize and say that with conservatism comes an anti-education vibe because that's not true. Um, but there are a lot of folks who are just not pro-education. They'd rather spend the money elsewhere or even better, they'd rather cut taxes, right? So kind of starve the beast mentality. And we're not really here to debate that, but a lot of the time, starving the beast means starving education, since it's in most states, it's one of their largest expenditures. So what you end up with in a lot of cases are, are folks that are really voting against their own self-interest, right? Or maybe they decide that, you know, whatever social cause or whatever the reason, maybe they go to church with the guy or the girl or 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 whatever the case is, right? Whomever whomever their elected official is or whoever is running. It just seems like they would they would you know vote against their own self interest. I'm going to make a prediction though. I, I think what we're dealing with, and and hopefully no one's insulted by this, but I think it's just apathy. You know, I mean, it, when you're talking about state politics, a lot of times, do you really know how your local legislator voted? You know, really think about it. We're not, we're not talking I'm a about political nut. Yeah. So. I, well, and we recently had a lottery bill that just passed here in the state, and I went and looked to see how my representative voted. But, but like, Lissa, when, do you know how your local representative voted in terms of school funding any time within the yes, past four years? And I do because I'm a teacher. We all email and share that document to okay, where well, everybody knows it. But, but I think outside of education, out the teacher, people that are not teachers, but they do care about education and they want better funded schools and, and better funded teachers, they don't have their finger on the pulse as much as those of us that are employed by the system. You know, so we we do. I wouldn't. Now, I'll be honest. I didn't go seek it out like you did, Nick. But there is someone that always emails it to me and in a big group email is like, look at this. You know, can you believe this? And so, and, do you, do you think the teachers are are reacting to that? Are they not voting for that person that maybe didn't fund a program that was important to you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely. I I can't speak for other people, but I know it changes how I feel. It definitely because that's 
my job, you know, and, and you hear it from time to time with people in the medical community and people that have to deal with insurance and the, the, the craziness that goes on with, with the gouging of prices and things like that when it comes to healthcare and insurance, they, they have their finger on that pulse more than I do. Like I, I don't necessarily, so when you, when you talk about apathy, like I, uh, I don't really have it when it comes to that stuff. And I hate that. It's just cause I'm a healthy person right now, but I bet you if I wasn't, then I'd be definitely paying attention to those things. So I think, but I, I will say that I've taught with enough teachers to know that not all of them are as die hard and paying attention as they should be. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if they just think nothing's ever going to change or this is the way it's always been and this is the way it'll always be, but they need to get, up on their feet. Uh, Oklahoma is an interesting case study. So Russ, I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, they just went through their strike. And, and so it was very front and center for all these teachers. And it's, it does give me faith in the system to see that these legislators were actually voted out and probably had to do with those, those votes against the teachers. Well, in, in your, I, I know in, in, you know, in the schools in your area, there are about 1300 teachers running around right? or 1300 staff, about 620 teachers or so. Um, according to NCES, right, which I just looked up. And so, you know, if you think about the area in which most of us live, 13, like the margin by which people win is very rarely 1,300 votes, right? It's almost never, in fact. It usually comes within a few hundred votes. So it's really a question of, I I think, I, I tend to agree that most people don't know or they don't understand the impact of their individual vote, right? Right. So like, like I come from a really small town, the guy that was our representative for a long time, in my opinion, turned very anti-education and was very had a contentious relationship with the school district. But nothing ever changed. Like nobody really ran against him that was meaningful, and nor did nor was there like any consequence to that, right? So, you know, there would be an education funding bill, and then people wouldn't even call. And if they did, you know, they would just write it up as like, you know, hey, they're just complaining or whatever the case is. And I think that, you know. I don't know that like calling in to a switchboard really solves the problem these days. Cause I think people are so partisan and so tribal that this is the way that I'm going to do it. And if you don't like it, you can vote me out. And I think there are some people in Oklahoma who are taking folks up on that. Yeah. Well, good for them. Like I said, it gives me faith in the system. And I know I think there were some other strikes looming around the country actively. I want to say maybe Seattle and Los Angeles. Um, I know those municipalities, but uh, it just shows that it really can make a difference when you just contact your legislator or, you know, threaten to vote them out. There was there was a specific person from the story I wanted to mention. There was um, an assistant principal from Oklahoma City who got rid of a three-term incumbent, which is huge, right? Like incumbency is a huge predictor of future performance. But she overcame nearly a 30-point deficit in the primary to pull off the upset. So... You know, it just shows you like people in Oklahoma City voted for this assistant principal to send her, you know, send her um, to their state capital. So something definitely to watch. Good stuff. Thank you, Russ. Um, do you guys remember the story back in May with the um, superintendent who allegedly got caught pooping on his neighboring school district's track? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I do. What is it? Yes, I do remember that. And it w- actually went to <laughs> court or something well so i wanted to update folks who maybe you know because sometimes we bring these like crazy stories and you're like whatever happened to that guy so i did some digging (laughs) to kind of figure out like where all that stands because he was he was still being he was like on leave with pay 
um, with his district. Ridiculous. Uh, but um, apparently last month, and this was like in July, he resigned from his school board. I guess they decided to go their separate ways. Um, they left a, a big statement basically saying, you know, this isn't saying he's guilty, but, you know, we just feel like it's too much of a distraction and so forth. Um, so I could see that happening. That was pretty predictable that that was going to happen. Did, did he receive a payout? You no. That's kind of one of your pet peeves. Yeah, as far as I know, he did not receive a payout from the district, as far as the reporting that I've read. But he is suing the neighboring police department that set up the surveillance on him. Um, and he's actually suing. It looks like he's suing because of the mugshot that they took of him. And uh-huh. let me find the actual... the His attorney is the only person who spoke. And he, as for the whole pooping incident he's saying he's you know looking forward to his day in court um to explain his side of the story so am i yeah i gotta be honest i'm, I'm really looking forward to his day in court yeah so we might be might continue to follow this one but um he is suing the police department in excess of one million dollars um which is includes but is not limited to the reasonable financial loss of income harm to reputation emotional distress invasion of privacy and, and intrusion of seclusion um, because he alleges the police department unlawfully photographed him for his public mugshot. So, and that's all that the story says. This is People Magazine that actually had the follow up. And uh, I, I don't quite, I guess maybe they're saying he didn't get due process and then they put the mugshot out there. I, I don't really know where they're going with with that. But he is trying to recover some funds, it looks like, from his damaged reputation. Yeah, he's good, lucky. Good, good luck. He's with that lucky one. they didn't release the photos of him in the crouching position. Well, and so I mean, I imagine that stuff would probably come out in court, wouldn't you think? You know? Uh, yeah. I would think so. Yeah. I think once once it goes to court, I think it's part of the public record. Which I don't know. Unlawfully photographed by taking this mugshot and then making it public. I don't know about all that. Hey, are you guys uh, ready for the uh, bright idea? Yeah. Well, we got. Uh, we are talking about not having a desk in your classroom, like purposely getting rid of your desk. Um, Did it this year. Well, maybe I should have just interviewed you. <laughs> Anyhow. And everybody thought I was weird, but I was like, what do you mean? I don't need a desk. I never sit at it. Well, interesting. Taking up a lot of space. Anyhow, stay tuned. <laughs> Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is an educator, blogger, and speaker from Toronto. Matthew Morris uses his website, MatthewRMorris.com, to speak about race, culture, and education. And he also has a big following on Medium.com. Today, Matthew's here to talk about why he got rid of his teacher's desk and what life's been like without it. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm excited you're here, too, because this post that you uh, put, I I originally stumbled across it on Medium.com, which is a great resource for anybody looking just for some inside information about any industry. And I like to look at it for education reasons. But um, I stumbled across it and saw that, you know, you you were talking about you're getting rid of your desk and, and here's why I'm doing it. But the post is a few years old. So I don't want you to tell me right now whether or not like you gave in and you brought a desk back into your classroom. We'll we'll get to that later, but but let's first talk a little bit about, you know, why you decided to actually pull the teacher's desk out of your classroom. Well, there's a couple reasons. One of the the first reason why I actually wanted to chuck my desk because it was, it was actually kind of falling apart. That's the real true reason why I was like, you know what? I need to get rid of this. But instead of, you know, talking to my principal and asking if they could spring for another desk towards, you know, the second half of that last, sorry, I don't want to ruin anything. So the second half of that 
time when I had my desk that last year, I, um, I didn't really use it at all. And, and I found that as I started using it less and less and I uh, started to move around the class more often, um, students would gradually start to ask me if uh, they could sit at my desk to do their work. And this was at the time when I was teaching uh, a fourth and fifth grade split class. Um, so they kind of found it empowering to sit there and do work. So I kind of, throughout the course of the last several months of the school year, I would I would kind of use it as a, a reward system for students who, um, you know, did their work, were consistent with their um, the expectations that I had of them. And um, at the end of the year, I had decided that I just wanted to get rid of it. I wasn't really read up on any literature about, you know, <clears throat> the reasons behind perhaps getting rid of a desk. It was only after, um, you know, my blog went on Medium and I started getting a little bit of attention about it that I, I learned some of the theory behind it. But for me, I just kind of wanted to get rid of it because, A, it was, it was useless for me. I didn't really uh, see a, a purpose in, in having it. Now, again, I'm a, you know, I have a fairly deep voice, so um, I don't really need particular symbols um, to, um, quote, unquote, I guess, um, claim authority within a classroom. Right. Um, so that's kind of the initial reason why I just decided to, uh, to get rid of it. And, and how long have you been teaching? Uh, this is my eighth year now. Okay. So, I, and this was about three years ago. So this was, you're about five years in. So you're, you're a younger teacher probably in, in your school. And, and I was reading the article and I think you said you got some colleagues to kind of help you get the desk outside and you were like, yeah, I'm getting rid of it. And it took them for a second. Like they thought you were joking, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, I got a, the teacher who uh, taught next to me to help me uh, the first week in, into the summer holiday. And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're getting rid of it. And I'm like, no, I need you to actually help me bring this to the stairway because I taught on the second floor of a school building um, so that the, I already told the caretaker at the time so that he could take it downstairs. And um, so he, he was kind of like, okay. Um, and, you know, the typical question, so what are you going to use instead of it? I don't know. I don't. I just don't want a desk. I don't, I don't want that symbol inside my classroom that forces me to be that um, quote-unquote traditional teacher. Not that there's anything wrong with um, you know, teaching in a traditional sense and holding expectations in, inside a classroom, but I just wanted to uh, – I felt I had been teaching long enough to, um, to really start um, trying some new things out in my practice. All right, so so you get it out of the classroom. Did you feel like you got the the response you were expecting? Did you feel like it, it tore walls down between you and your students, or was it kind of like no big deal? Well, at first, yes, it did. It was because um, at the time, um, the school was a kindergarten to grade eight school, so it was relatively small. So um, there was about maybe three hundred kids in the entire school. So even if they were in a second grade class, they might have had an older brother in fifth grade or sixth grade. So they were, were very familiar with the classes. So when they came to my class the following year and they realized that <clears throat> the times that they once visited their older sister in Mr. Morris's fifth or sixth grade class, he no longer had the desk in his class where they would kind of hang out after school. I was helping their sister with some homework or something like that. Um, so when they got up into uh, my class, um, yeah, it was kind of like, what happened to your desk? How come you don't have a desk? It was very like, why don't you have a desk? You know, and it wasn't me. I'm not going to sit there and lecture them on the reasons of why right. I didn't have a desk at the time they were fifth grade. 
So I just said, you know, I don't feel the, you know, I don't need a desk, you know, and it, it pushed me to walk around and help, help kids more and be the lead learner. So I kind of told them a little bit of that, putting it into kid friendly language, I guess you could say, um, to the point where gradually it, um, on the surface, it wasn't a big thing in terms of, yeah, they didn't notice it after a couple months, but underneath, I think it was a big thing because it dissolved a little bit of that. Um, it did dissolve a little bit of that barrier between teacher and student. Do you, did you ever have a moment where you kind of realize, like, yeah, this was the right decision, like an interaction with a student or anything, or, or, or did you open up more space in your classroom? Was there a, was there an aha moment? Well, I don't know if there was an aha moment per se. There were several small moments um, throughout the course of that first year when I got rid of my desk when I realized that. Some of the students that were falling falling under the crack in previous years, I probably could have helped them because I noticed that because I couldn't rely on my desk to, um, you know, go back and sit down and do the teacher things that I needed to do, I would just take, say I had a set of um, math quizzes to quickly grade. I would go and sit beside a student. I wouldn't go and, you know, talk to them or I would just take a seat in, in an open desk beside students while they were doing their independent work. And then I found that the students who I would typically sit beside were the ones that were more quiet just because, you know, I wanted to, you know, get a little closer to those students. And then those students would actually ask me more questions about the work. And I realized that, you know, there was probably a few students in previous years and previous classes that just sat there. They earned maybe their C minuses, C pluses um, when they could have been earning higher grades if both myself and them had the, uh, I guess, the space, the dynamic of the space within that classroom was a little bit altered how it was when I did get rid of my desk. I imagine, yeah, you're building trust maybe where in the past you were kind of had that barrier between you guys, um, both literally yeah. and figuratively, I guess. So if you're, we have a lot of educators that listen to this podcast and, you know, they all probably, um, not all, but um, most of them probably have a desk and they're probably thinking like, you know, I may want to try this, but where am I going to keep all my stuff? Like, I, you know, your desk is designed to, as a file cabinet in many sense or scissors or, or whatever school supplies you may need to kind of shove in there. What did you do about that? Uh, initially, I got a, an, I just got one of those small file cabinets, <clears throat> um, just your traditional, you know, industrial metal file cabinet. So anything that was in my desk at the time, um, I just moved it. I just, in terms of storage, it was in that file cabinet. Anything that I used to keep on my desk. So if I had my, I guess I'm trying to think back, maybe I had like a pencil sharpener on my desk at the time. Um, I would just put it on that file cabinet because I wasn't really using it anyway. So anything that I needed to use it for in terms of space, I just got another small file cabinet in the classroom. And then over the years, ironically, I started purging more and more things. You know, it's 2018. We don't need to keep photocopies of that math test that we're going to use in, in 10 months, right? You just keep it in our email or on a drive somewhere and just print it where we need to. Right. Now, um, you've been doing this for a few years now. Um, I, I take it unless you gave in at some point, that's, that's kind of what I was curious about. And, and I think you said you, you were teaching fourth and fifth grade when you started this and now you're teaching. Yeah. Is it seventh I'm teaching, grade? I'm teaching seventh grade now in a middle school. So I actually, I switched schools. And when I switched schools, um, my new principal asked me, are there anything that, is there anything that I want to change to the, any changes 
um, to the room that I would like before September. And I, I asked for a carpet and some bean bags because in my old classroom, I had kind of like a reading area. And I like kind of like a more laxed feel where you, the boundaries are blurred between the uh, dynamic that occurs outside of school and the, what occurs inside of school. And then I also told him I wanted to get rid of my desk. Um, so initially he was like, yeah, everything's fine. And then when I came back in September, um, he didn't realize that I actually wanted to get rid of my desk again. It was like kind of the, with my teacher back, uh, you know, a few years before that. So he came, he's like, oh, there's nowhere to store your desk. <laughs> kind of thinking that I might want my desk again one day or another teacher may need another desk or something like that. And, um, so I kind of, I worked through that in my first year at, at, um, the this next school that I went to, I actually had a desk for that year, but I made it. I guess you didn't want to like push back on your principal because he's he's kind of like, what do you want me to do? Yeah, with that? yeah. You know, there's there's the politics inside of teaching too, right? Yeah. I'm at a new school. Um, I don't have a relationship with this this principal. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. Um, I'm not gonna push my uh, pedagogical demands upon administration. You know, so I just kind of you know. Um, finessed my way around that situation. I made it very explicit from the very first day of that year that this desk isn't mine. It belongs to you if anybody wants to sit there. They were older. They're in seventh grade now, not fourth and fifth. So it wasn't really, uh, I mean, it, they're still kids. So that kind of reward system could have still been implemented. Um, but I kind of just wanted to just use the desk for, for whatever it was. If you want, I didn't want to, I wanted to absolutely dissolve all the power of it. Cause even when I was letting kids sit there, there was still a power piece in play, but it was just kind of reversed. It was more of the student, you know, empowerment, mm -hmm. which is a good thing, but I wanted to dissolve. I, I didn't want any of my kids to ever view that as the quote unquote teacher's desk. Right. So from the very first day of school, I said, kids, if you guys want to sit there, if you want to go there in the middle of math period because the group that you're sitting at, you just need some alone time, go ahead. I might be sitting there sometimes, 95% of the time, I won't be. So you just started a new school year like two days ago. Do you have a desk this year? No, no. After that first year at my new school, I, I chucked that thing. I At that time, I built my relationship up to the point where he realized that I absolutely didn't want a desk in the, in my classroom. Um, so he's, I guess they found storage for it. So no it regrets. <clears throat> no, zero regrets. It opens up my classroom. I have so much space in it. Um, I'm consciously focused now because I don't have that desk. I'm more consciously focused on, um, moving around the, the, the classroom. And because the school year just started, we're on the East coast. So it starts after labor day. So I'm, it's day two just finished. And, um, I still have my chair to my desk, so I just roll around the classroom, kind of sitting at different groups, talking to some of my students, trying to build that uh, classroom community. Sounds like a really cool classroom. Have you convinced any of your colleagues to do the same? I've convinced a few, actually. Surprisingly, I've never convinced any teacher within my own school over the two schools that I've been at in the four or five years that I've gone without a desk. I've noticed a lot of, you know, colleagues that work within the same board. I work in the Toronto District School Board um, that I see. And they're like, yeah, I got rid of my desk. You know, I read your um, post. Like, I didn't need it. I never used it either. You know, I finally got rid of it. Or people on Twitter will, um, you know, reply to that article or send me messages like it was the best decision I made. Um, so, yeah. Uh, speaking of Twitter, if somebody wants to, to find you on there, what's your handle? Do you know offhand? Yeah, my handle is call me Mr. Morris. 
So C-A-L-L, me, M-E, Mr., the abbreviated form, M-R, Morris with two R's, M-O-R-R-I-S. All right, Mr. Matthew Morris, are you ready for our pop quiz? I'm ready. Let's do it. Uh, First question, if students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? English. They need to know how to communicate. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Financial literacy. Um, You need to know how to more about money than about what makes a leaf turn green. It's interesting to know that's not just a problem in the United States, you being in Toronto, because we all feel the same way, I think. Absolutely. Um, What does every child deserve? Validation and acknowledgement of of them and their, their uniqueness as a person. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the biggest challenge is the conservative nature of education um, and the uh, the politics behind um, the politics behind education. Uh, I mean, um, the high stakes testing and the pressure on teachers to pump out results on test scores and not necessarily um, push for um, the best and brightest students. Those are two opposite things. What's the best gift to give an educator? Um, uh, the best gift to give an educator is probably a gift card to chapters. Um, just for teachers to be lifelong learners is probably the most invaluable thing you could give somebody who is um, negotiating and um, supposed to be teaching children every single day. Which teacher changed your life? My grade eight teacher, his name was Mr. Gillis. He was in his last year of teaching. And I think at that point he was dissolved of any type of um, conservative backlash that he would get. And it was the most powerful year I ever got because he taught us. He, he had he had sayings that really resonated with me personally, like everything you need to learn. You've learned already in kindergarten. Be nice to others. Treat others how you want to be treated. Share. Um, and he, he just had a very fundamental way of connecting with urban students. I went to school in a inner city, and this was an old white guy who embraced um, wow. Native American culture, and he couldn't have been more connected to the students he taught. Good. Um, and last question, pen or pencil? Um, pen or wow, pen or pencil? That's I use the pen. I use a computer, man, my MacBook. There you go. But if I had to, it would be a pen, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) All right, Matthew Morris, again, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, I've already asked you to come back to next week's show because um, this topic was simple, but I want to dive into something a little bit more um, complex. And you wrote another column that uh, really caught my attention. It was called 10 Ways to Make Your Classroom More Inclusive for uh, black students. So uh, if anybody listening wants to catch that, be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be talking to Matthew again. Thanks, Matthew. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter. Just search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward. To go, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.